What if I told you that there are only five evidence-based treatments for chronic pain? The National Institute for Healthcare and Excellence out of the UK did a meta-analysis and that's what they found. What are these five treatments? How can we incorporate them into our lives? That's what we're looking into in this week's episode of Chronically Living. I'm Kelsey Harris, a chronic illness warrior and a psychotherapist in training. On Chronically Living and How to Make the Most of It, we're providing tangible ways to improve the well-being of Spoonies. So get ready to make the most out of your life, even with that pesky chronic illness. then write about the information that I'm going to tell you about today, it blew my mind. Like I almost couldn't believe it at first. So here's what happened. Back in June, I decided to attend this free online embodiment therapy summit. Now, as this episode airs, I will actually have finished my master's program and I can say that I'm a therapist <laughs> um, just in the process of registering, which is very exciting. When I attended the summit, I was obviously still in training. And there are a few reasons I decided to attend it. So first, I think that professional development is just really important, whether I'm in school or ongoing, obviously. Second, I think that using the body and embodiment in therapy is quite useful and works really well with the type of therapy that I practice, which I'll get into a bit later. And third, Stephen C. Hayes, the founder of the type of therapy I practice, was one of the presenters there. The summit was also quite cool because all of the workshops were very experiential in nature. So I got to practice along with the other practitioners. And these are the same types of exercises I can use in therapy with my clients. Uh, This was a virtual summit, by the way, with COVID restrictions still on, at least at that point. So that's the background. Now, the type of therapy I typically practice is called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a third wave, quote unquote, (laughs) cognitive behavioral approach. And I'm not going to get into large detail on this episode about it, though I will in subsequent episodes. But I will say that one of the reasons I was drawn to it is because there is a huge amount of scientific evidence that it helps people with chronic illness and chronic pain. Now, I also do practice more traditional cognitive behavioral therapy with a a bit of a mindfulness element to it and also dialectical behavior therapy. I've also integrated aspects of narrative therapy with some clients. I'm interested in existential therapy. And of course, I've done motivational interviewing as well. So while I don't exclusively use ACT, that's the acronym or short form, by the way, of acceptance and commitment therapy, it's ACT. It is what I primarily use. So now back to the summit. During the workshop run by Stephen Hayes, he mentioned a study that came out of NICE, which is the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. So they're located in the UK. And uh, this study said that there are only five evidence-based treatments for chronic pain. And ACT happens to be one of them, which is why he brought it up. And he was very clearly excited about this. And to be honest, so was I. But then he gave an overview of what the five are. And I was really surprised. Of course, I've just mentioned that ACT is one, 
And cognitive behavioral therapy, or more commonly known as CBT, that's another one. Interesting that two types of psychotherapy are, are known to help with chronic pain management, which I wouldn't have expected. Then there was also exercise and acupuncture. And then finally, antidepressants. And those are the only five treatments for chronic pain with a sufficient evidence base behind them. After the break, we're going to go into each of them in a bit more detail. Hey, Warriors, what if it was possible to get local, fresh groceries delivered right to your front door? You could take up deep sea yoga with all that free time. Well, Instacart gives you unlimited grocery delivery for one low monthly fee. This is definitely better than paying for delivery on all those other apps. Forget that one ingredient you needed to make that super healthy smoothie. Instacart can deliver to your front door in as little as an hour. You can shop multiple stores, getting all your favorites on a single order. Instacart even highlights deals so that you can save money. Get all the products you love, hand-selected by shoppers, based on your preferences. They'll pick the freshest produce, and they'll keep your eggs safe too. Find everything you usually buy, and get smart suggestions on new items. To get free delivery on your first order over $10, follow the link in the show notes to let Instacart know that we sent you and help to help support the show. With Instacart, you'll never step foot in a grocery store again. I decided to actually go and look up the recommendations made by NICE. Their information was gathered from a meta-analysis. I didn't think it was a huge meta-analysis, but I guess when you break it down into each category, it wasn't big, but overall it was quite large. And a meta-analysis, just for anybody who doesn't know, it's basically a review of a bunch of literature or studies on the subject. And usually they look at just between certain date ranges, most likely fairly recent ones, because that gives you the most accurate information. So the first section in their recommendations is about how to assess for chronic pain. And this includes using a person-centered approach, which includes having patients actively participate in their care and the evaluation, which I think is something that's often lacking in our healthcare system. And then thinking about possible causes for pain, so including both injury and disease, and knowing that primary and secondary chronic pain can coexist. Then there's talking about the pain and how it affects the life of the patient and how the life of the patient affects pain. So in other words, going over that body-mind connection with the patients, with us, basically. Next is providing advice and information, which I think is fairly straightforward. Developing a care and support plan, and that is to include the patient again in the decision-making process. And then finally, dealing with flare-ups as they come along. Uh, because we obviously, most of us can't really predict when we're going to have flares. The second section is about managing chronic primary pain. So this is the section with the five evidence-based treatments I mentioned earlier. So it starts with non-pharmacological management of chronic pain. The first recommendation is exercise and physical activity that is tailored to people's specific needs and encouraging them to do physical activity. The research uh, behind this found that 
exercise reduced pain and improved the quality of life of the people studied compared with care as usual. And care of usual, we know, is typically just drugs, pharmacological treatment. The additional benefit of exercise is that it is cost-effective, so it's great. The difficulty for many of you listening um, is that you might find it difficult to go do physical activity because of your pain or because of other issues, which is why they recommend that it's tailored to you and that you try to sustain it over a long time. In other words, maybe you're not just doing exercise for a short period of time, you're doing it over many years. So the next recommendation was psychological therapy for chronic pain. And again, this included ACT and CBT as the only two types with a recommendation specifically not to use biofeedback. For ACT, they found it improved quality of life and sleep and reduced pain and psychological distress. And it, again, is a more cost-effective strategy. CBT also improved quality of life. Now, the CBT use would have to be tailored specifically to pain management, and it is also cost-effective. They did note that ACT and CBT are equal in their evidence base, so they wouldn't recommend one over the other, necessarily. Next, we have acupuncture for chronic pain, which is to be delivered by a healthcare professional with the appropriate training and delivered in a community setting. They also recommended only five hours of acupuncture on however many sessions it takes to get to that five hours. There's just no evidence that over five hours will provide an extra benefit. It's just up to that five hours. And they found that acupuncture reduced pain and improved quality of life for up to three months. So it's a short-term benefit and it may not have long-term effects. There seems to be insufficient evidence for the long-term benefits, but definitely not short-term, that three months. NICE stated that TENS, ultrasound, and interferential therapy are not recommended because they don't have an evidence base. And then as far as pharmacological treatment goes, they recommend antidepressants. So there's a list of specific ones. Most of them are SSRIs, and one of them is an SNRI. And these all improve quality of life, pain, sleep, and psychological distress. So most of this evidence did come from women with fibromyalgia. So it's hard to say how applicable it is with other chronic pain conditions, but certainly we know that fibromyalgia is quite common. So that's probably why uh, most of those studies were focused on that population. Now, to me, it makes sense that an antidepressant would help because mood and pain are controlled by the same region of the brain, which is in the prefrontal cortex. And I also should mention that all these recommendations are for people ages 16 plus, except for the antidepressants, which is for people ages uh, 18 plus. Now, my bonus Patreon content for subscribers this week is going to be a bit more on the Hexaflexin Act. If you don't know what that means, then you should probably subscribe to find out. In the meantime, what about pain medication? I was too. In fact, the recommendations are to not prescribe any of the following to people with chronic primary pain ages 16 plus. Anti-epileptic drugs, including gabapentinoids, antipsychotic drugs, benzodiazepines, corticosteroid trigger point injections, which I've had, by the way, that didn't help. Ketamine, 
local anesthetics, local anesthetic corticosteroid combination injections, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, so NSAIDs, which I was also on for a number of years until they destroyed my stomach. Opioids, and this one is a little bit frightening that they're saying don't recommend opioids because they are prescribed so often for chronic pain. And uh, paracetamol, uh, it should be noted that pregabalin, so that's Lyrica brand name, was also not recommended. And that medical marijuana doesn't have a sufficient evidence base either, though they did state that with medical marijuana, they didn't actually do enough research on it. So more of an unknown. So this is all due to a lack of evidence for these medications as effectively managing people's primary chronic pain. And then they gave a few additional reasons that they, on top of the lack of evidence, that they wouldn't recommend some of these drugs. So they said that opioids are addictive, as are gabapentinoids, and uh, and NSAIDs and benzodiazepines can actually cause poor physical and psychological functioning which again is a bit um, frightening. And so I also want to note that this was all very highly controversial within the medical community because doctors, as we all know, push prescription medications all the time. Take this medication, you'll feel better. And for like a lot of symptoms, that's true. It just, for pain, what they're saying is, is it may not be. And it seems that like more holistic approaches really need to be considered for effective pain management and and pain reduction. So with all that being said, I am not saying to stop your pain medication. Please, please, please always talk to your doctor and other healthcare professionals first. Some medications, even if you do decide to stop them, you actually need to be weaned off of them. So things like opioids, right? There are a lot of reasons you need to talk to your doctor first. So please, 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 no matter what you take from this episode today, speak to your healthcare team. What I think is a good idea and what I started doing a few years ago was adding the holistic approaches. So add them first before you make any other decisions. See if they help. And then if you decide you want to make some decisions about whether to stay on medications or, you know, switch up a dose or something like that, then talk to your doctor at that point, but start by adding some holistic approaches if you haven't already. So again, things like exercise, acupuncture, or psychotherapy that is specifically targeted to pain management. A food for thought. And if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed by this information, I'm going to normalize it for you and say that I did too. And probably most people listening Dude, I actually talked to my mom about it after I read the article and we had to process together a bit. So maybe find someone you could talk to about all this. And I'm going to link the recommendations in the show notes so that you can just read them for yourselves if you're interested. And, and really, I, I obviously did a lot of summarizing here. It's quite long to read everything, if you, especially if you go into all the sublinks within the articles, which I recommend doing if you're really looking to, to get all the information. And I'm positive there are a lot of mixed thoughts and emotions out there about all of this. So let's take a minute to reflect. What did you notice about your thoughts and feelings as you listened to the episode? 
What is sticking out for you? And what are you noticing now as you reflect on that noticing? All right, everyone, take care and keep making the most of it. Special thanks to Nicole Skira for the original music and to Charity Williams for the original artwork.